turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, where we're going to begin. We've been talking about the rules of engagement. And the first week we talked about the fight, and then our courage, and then the fight. This week we're going to talk about the love of God. And, and the love of God is a weapon, whether you realize that or not. And so it's something we need to get on the inside of us. Actually, love is the most emphasized and discussed topic in the entire Bible. There's nothing mentioned more than the love of God or love, period. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, it talks specifically about love. Verses 1 through 8 in particular. Verse 1 says this, that, that you can speak with the tongues of angels, but if you don't have love... The message says you're a useless nobody. Verse 2 says that you can have the gift of prophecy or incredible spiritual insight, but if you don't have love, you're a useless nobody. Verse 3 of that says that you can give to the poor, that you can even sacrifice your body, but without love, you're a useless nobody. And so we're going to talk about this today to get the love of God on the inside of us. And once again, Love is, is not a choice. Our love is not a feeling, it's a choice. This may date you a little bit, but years ago there was a song that said, I lost that love and feeling. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're waiting for a feeling to love, you're going to be in trouble, okay? Because there's a lot of days you're going to get up and you're not going to feel like loving anybody. And so to love like Jesus is talking about, it's a decision, it's a choice, but the biggest thing it's something I purpose in my heart. I get on, get it on the inside of me now. Today I want to talk just a little bit about what does love look like. What does love look like? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Imitate God. Now the message says it this way. Watch what God does and then do it. The Amplified says, copy Him and follow his example. How? As dear children. As dear children. Now, maybe you have young kids at, the home, at your home right now. And your children will mimic you. The things that you do, they'll imitate you. Whether good or bad. And I said this earlier that I remember last year one, one summer morning driving to work. And I saw a father out pushing his lawnmower. And right next to him, you know who was with him? His son looked like he's about that big, and he had a little toy lawnmower. And what was he doing? He was imitating his daddy. He wanted to be like daddy. And so this is what the scriptures tell us, that we need to find out what God is like, and then begin to imitate him. Verse 2, and it says, and walk in love. The Amplified says right there, to esteem and to delight in one another. And walk in love. As Christ has also loved us. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean it's going to be convenient. And think about this. How did Jesus love us? Look what it says. And he's given himself for us. And I think about Jesus' life. He didn't hold nothing back, guys. He died for it. That's how Jesus loved us that much. And so it says, and he's given himself for us, and how? As an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. An offering, a sacrifice. Do you know Romans 12, 1 says this, 
that we are to be a living sacrifice. We're not to be a dead sacrifice, a comatose sacrifice. We're not even to be a dead-end sacrifice. We're to be a living sacrifice. And it says there, a sweet-smelling aroma. Let me ask you something today. What's the fragrance of your love? What does it smell like? See, in Jesus' life, His fragrance was that of love. And you know how you could tell? By the way people responded to Him and the way people received Him. Think about Jesus' life, guys. People flocked to Jesus. They ran to Jesus. The fishermen, the Samaritans, the tax collectors... People of all, all nationalities, they flocked to Jesus. Why? Because His aroma was that of love. And so I believe this is what God wants us to become. Where our aromas of, how many of you ever been around people that were just loving to you? That they just loved you. You know what? When they loved you like that, it pulled you in. You were like, man, I love being around them. I, I can say this, that when, when me and Shelly had got born again, we had we'd gotten married, and we moved to Tulsa to go to Bible school. And there was a family up there that really just took me and Shelly in. Actually, the, one of the, uh, the sons was an instructor at the Bible school I went to. I spent endless hours with him. And believe it or not, that family was black. And I loved it. And every time we would go around them, they would be so welcoming to us, so encouraged. They would... They would just ooh and awe over you. And at that time, Shelly worked at, at Dillard's and she didn't get home till late at night. And I remember one night she came home and she walked in the door and she looked at me and she said, where have you been at today? And I said, why? And she said, because you have lipstick all over your cheeks. And I said, I've been up at the Kings. That was their last name, the Kings. And so every time you would come into their house, they would greet you with a holy kiss. They would, the, the, there was two daughters and they were beautiful. But they were more beautiful with the things of God. And everywhere I saw them, people flocked to them. You know why? Because of the love of God. And this is what he's talking about here. That this should become our aroma, our fragment. And see, love is the distinguishing characteristic of believers as me and you. It should be in our actions, our expressions, even our lifestyle. And love is not a theory. Love is not just words. Love becomes very tangible. Even in our marriages, guys. See, we can sit here and we can tell each other we love them. But what about our actions? Do we see this? Go with me over a book to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And when it comes to love, guys... It didn't say for us to love if we feel like it. It didn't say to love if you've had a good day. It didn't even say to pray about walking in love. No, it's a sacrifice. And when it has the word sacrifice, it's going to cost you something. You know what it's going to cost you? Some effort to put down your flesh. You may have heard of this before, but it's called the elevator principle. You know what the elevator principle is? Very simple. You either take people up or you pull people down. And that's what we do on a daily basis. It's, it's kind of like uh, uh, someone that's a builder. Someone that's very good at building something is very precise, very accurate. 
But you know what? Every one of us in this room, we could be good at demolition because you know what? Anybody can, can demolish things. You know what demolition is? It's tear it down. So in my life as a believer, I must become a master craftsman with love. I must get my heart. You know what? I'm going to build people up today. I'm not going to tear them down. Now, Philippians chapter 1, begin with me in verse number 8. And these are the, the books that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he said this, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all, every one of you, pursue them, long for them. And how was he to do that? With the affection or the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't care how much you want to love people. The key ingredient is getting Jesus on the inside of you. When you get born again and get Jesus on the inside of you and you begin to surrender to him, there will be a love that will begin to work in you. Look at this real close because the Apostle Paul is writing this. How did the Apostle Paul start out? Was he born just as a lover? No. In other words, Paul didn't have the genetics of love in him until he got born again. Actually, the Apostle Paul said this, I'm the chief sinner. I've done more wrong. And if you look at his life, all that he did before he gave his heart to Jesus, there was no evidence of love. But once he got born again, something began to change on the inside of him. That's what happens to each one of us if you'll allow Jesus to work in your heart. Verse number 9. And this I pray... That your love, now get that, that your love may abound, that it may flourish. How much? Still more and more and more and more. And you know what? You're never going to max out on love. It's infinite. That we continue to grow in love and we continue to grow in love. And look what he goes on to say here. In knowledge, which is in my thinking, and all discernment which is in my scene or the things that are revealed. And so he's saying, change the way you think even on the, on the things of love. But not only that, even in your discernment, let the things of God be revealed through your actions in your life. Now look what he says here in verse 10. That you may approve the things that are excellent. And excellent means the top of the list. And that you may be sincere, not sentimental. And without offense till the day of Christ. Now you know what it is for me as a believer to, to, to be where I'm not offensive? It's not only that I don't do things that cause myself to stumble. But I don't do things that cause other people to stumble. See when I'm offensive in life, I can cause other people to stumble. And this is the love of God. And you know what he's telling me here? It's just not about me. Life is more than about me. And he goes on in verse number 11 and says, Be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. And so the way I'm going to have fruit in my life is Jesus Christ. When you get born again, you change your heart, you change your nature. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen easily. Doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. Love, however must be the theme of my life. It must be the theme of your life. Now go over another book to Colossians chapter 3. The Characteristics of Love. One more book to your right. Colossians 3. How many of you have ever heard this as you're turning there? People don't 
don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. See, a lot of times we can say the right thing, but the proof of the pudding's always in the eating. That I need to put a little walkie-walkie with my talkie-talkie. See, it's easy for believers to say, I love you, I love you. But if there's never no action, see, love is action. Love is a verb. But love is not dependent on a reaction. In other words, for me to tell one of you I love you, it's not based on how you respond to me, okay? Jesus loved us before we ever loved him back. His love was unconditional for us. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, the chosen of God, holy, that means consecrated, and beloved, put on. Now, I'm going to stop right there on the word put on, because over and over in the New Testament, we're told to put on. Listen what the message says right there for that word put on. It says, Dress in the wardrobe that God has picked for you. Put on. And so, when I look at the words put on, that's a choice. Just like you made a choice today to to put on your clothes. And I do this because this is God's expectation for every one of us in this room today. Every day, I put on a behavior, and my behavior is aimed at every person I come in contact with throughout that day. Now, you're going to cross people's path today, tomorrow. Do you put on love? Do you put on these things? See, there was a man in Luke 10, and you know what he said to Jesus? He said, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him all the things, and trying to justify himself, he said, when Jesus told him, love people, he said, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And you know what Jesus basically said? Everybody that you come in contact with. And in that passage in Luke 10, there was religious people, Jews, that went past people that were hurting or wounded. But this one man, a Samaritan, he was the only one that stopped for this person. You know why it's significant as a Samaritan? Because Jesus or the Jews hated him. They despised the hair uh, the The Samaritans. And so Jesus used this illustration to help us to understand it's about people. Who will you come in contact? Now he says here, first of all, put on what? Tender mercies. Anytime you see mercy, you know what that means? That you give it to people even though they don't deserve it. They may not deserve it, but you go ahead and give them. And when we talk about putting on tender mercies, that means compassion. You know what compassion is? Feeling what other people feel. The next thing he says is the elect of God. We're to put on kindness. Just being kind in our words and our actions and our behavior. Some of you said, well, that would be a great thing for me to do. Well, put it on today. Begin to purpose in your I'm aware kindness. The next thing he says, humility. And you know what humility means? A lowly opinion of yourself. Not that you're a worm of the dust, but yet you're not above everybody. See, so many times in our society, people have that better than thou mentality. That's not God. He goes on to say meekness. And if you'll notice with meekness, it doesn't say weakness. Meekness is a quiet inner strength. The next one is long-suffering. 
And you know what long-suffering means? That there's a power on the inside of you that endures, that keeps on. How many of you work with a bunch of people that get under your skin every day? Probably most of you. I'm going to tell you. You know what I tell you to do? Put on, put on long-suffering every day. I mean, you need to picture yourself putting on that coat of long-suffering. Put your earmuffs of long-suffering on. Put your gloves of long-suffering on. Because I don't believe God would have ever told us to do these things if they weren't achievable. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But you just keep on and you keep on and you keep on. And you look at all these. And then the next verse, he says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. One translation for that, you know what it says? That you don't always have to be right. You don't always have to be first. And you don't have to show your hands in this, but just think in your life. Are you one that thinks you always have to be right? There's many people like that. There's things in our marriages that will hold us back when you sit there and think, I've always got to be right, or I've got to get the last word in. I'm going to tell you when that's it. That's not God. I don't know about you, but you know what the Holy Spirit will speak to my heart sometimes? And I'll hear it real clear. And this is how he deals with me. He doesn't beat around the bush because he knows I'm not the sharpest tool in this shed. So he goes right to the point. And you know what I hear him say? Shut up. I'm telling him just like that. And I receive it because I realize, you know what? Everything in my flesh is wanting to... And there's times I just sit there and realize, you know what? The best thing I can do is just be quiet. Where I don't have to be opinionated about everything. How many of you have ever been around people that they're opinionated about everything and they're always right? And every one of us. It ain't no fun. You don't want to be around them. Now the bad thing is that's you. Sometimes we wonder why people don't want to be around us. You know why? Because you talk too much. Where's that, Pastor? That's James 1.19. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. That's why I gave you two ears and one mouth. It's a big revelation for some of you today. We got it backwards. We think we got two mouths and one ear. Uh-uh. But when you look here, when he says bearing with one another, that verse is cross-referenced into Mark eleven twenty-five. Mark eleven twenty-five says, If you do not forgive others, Father God will not forgive you. Now, one of the characteristics of love is found right here in verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, he was the example, so you must also do. So the fragrance of love is forgiveness. And forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is is an act that's dependent on me, not on the other person. How many of us, guys, we've said this out of our mouths, I'll forgive them when they apologize to me. Guys, that's not in that verse. It does not say that. It just says that we must forgive them. And when we do, something is released in us. And it's a thing called reconciliation. It causes that inward poison to come out of that. You know, I I was reading a book here the other day. And this lady who, who had grown up as a Jewish woman. And she grew up. When the, the, the Germans were killing Jews. 
And so she remembered as a young girl that her and her parents got sent to one of the consecration camps. And as she was in there on a daily basis, she saw Jews being killed. Right before her eyes. She would see the, the, the uh, German soldiers come and pull different ones just randomly. You, 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 come, come. And they would march them into these deep pits. And she would witness them being killed for no apparent reason except for the color of their skin or being a Jew. And she said one day as she was standing there and the guards went by and the guards would beat them on a daily basis. She said they randomly selected her mother and father. And she said, as I saw my mother and father walk away, she said, I knew what was fixing to happen. And she said, I'll never forget that when my mom and dad started walking down in that pit, they had made eye contact with me. And she said, I saw them kill my mother and father. Right there before my right before my eyes. Several years later, she still was alive. She became a nurse. She goes into the room where she's to attend this patient. And when she walks in, she looks at the man lying there on the, on the bed. And she realizes that was one of the guards who killed my mother and father. And as I read that book, you know what I did? I put myself in her shoes and I thought, what would I have done? Not what I would have felt like doing, because I'm going to tell you right now what I felt like doing. I'd have felt like taking a pill and going over there and sticking it over his head or cutting his oxygen. I'm just, being, I'm just being true to you right now, guys. She backed out of the room and went, went, went and cried in the hallway and said, Lord, you're going to have to help me here. You're going to have to help me. And you know what she chose to do at that very moment? To forgive. And she walked in there and began to take care of that man, began to love him and treat him as if she didn't know anything of who he was. And you know what? Never one time did she reveal to that man, you kill my mother and father. I know who you are. And as I read that book, I thought, that's the epitome of unconditional love right there. And I can stand before you today and say, that's something that I, I, I don't want to ever have to walk out. But yet I knew this lady understood what happens when we forgive. Think about the things in our life that have not been life and death. But there's been unforgiveness in my heart. And this is what love says. I'm going to forgive them even though they don't deserve it. Look at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love. The number one most outstanding is love. Regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all principle garment is what the message says. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's the adhesive. Love is what binds everything together. And if you notice right here, it didn't say that there would be a, a, a holy cloud that would come upon you. It didn't say you would get holy goosebumps. It didn't say that you would grow angel wings. It just said, I've got to begin to do this. And when I put the bond of perfection in me, you know what takes place? Not only do I forgive them, but look at the fruit that goes with that in verse 15. 
And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. When I walk in love and I forgive, you know what's going to take place? There's going to be a kingdom peace that will come upon you. An, an, an unwavering peace. You know, in my own life, I know when that peace is upon me. I sense it. And I know when it leaves me too. And you know when it leaves me? When I harbor unforgiveness. When I begin to get over and I hold a grudge. I'm going to tell you, the peace of God will leave me. What do you do? I get in there and I repent. I say out of my heart, Father God, I forgive them. I forgive them. And you know what the peace of God will do? It will come back. Now look over one more passage to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And as you're turning there, look at yourself this way, that you're God's secret surface. You're God's spy on the lookout to love others. And the love of God, guys, it does not happen accidentally. The love of God happens by a choice. When I begin to step out and I begin to do what Jesus asked me to do. James 2, verse 1. My brethren, that's us. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, three times in these next few verses, he's going to get on this word partiality. And when we talk about partiality, guys, all human beings have equal value to Father God. Every one of us. And it's not based on how smart I am, my education. It's not based on my ethnicity. It's not based on my wealth. It's not based on my social standing. It's based on Father God created every one of us. Every one of us. Verse 2. For there should come into your assembly, into your church, into your synagogue, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in his filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes. And you say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Now, you know what he's saying here? You've preferred another human being based on what? Looks or social status. Now, maybe this has happened to you. When I read this right here, this has happened to me, guys. The first 18, 19 years of my life, I didn't walk with the Lord. I didn't serve God at all. And I remember at 18 or 19, I began to realize there's got to be more to life than what I'm living. And I knew that if something didn't happen, I'd either be dead or in prison. I knew that. I still, I still get that in my heart. And so I started going to a church. And there was a pastor there. He knew, he knew all the things I'd done wrong in life. He had a son that was a year younger than me. But yet he would welcome me into his Sunday school class. And he taught in his office and he'd say, you come up here and sit right here by me. He made me feel real comfortable. And one Sunday he said, why don't you stay and go to the, the main surface? And I did. And I only went one time. I never went again. Because when I went in there, I was extremely judged. People had the mentality, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And so I never went back again to, to that, that church. I'd go to his Sunday school class, but I wouldn't go to the church. And this is what it's talking about. But look what he said in verse 4. Or verse 5. Listen 
my beloved brethren. Let me go back to verse 4. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now there's the word partiality again, and, and it denotes making distinctions among people. Once again, that's what that, that, that means. And, and here's what ends up happening. I can say I love people. I can say that all I want. But the proof of the pudding becomes in the eating. How do I treat other people? And we may say this, I love all people. I just don't want to go to church with them. I can love all people. I just don't want my kids to go to school with them. Now, when I say that, you know what it's based off of? It's based off of two categories. My finances or my economic status. Or it's based on the color of my skin. And you may have heard this, you may have had this happen to you, that this is the black church, this is the brown church, this is the white church. Well, I got news for you guys. In heaven, there ain't going to be a black church. And they're not going to be a brown church, and they're not going to be a yellow church, and there's going to be one church. There's going to be one church. And I can stand before you today, and I, say, I can tell you, I thank God for the way I was raised. I had a father that was a coach, and in my house, I had ever color of skin in my home constantly. Constantly. My father, I did not know this story until a few months ago, that my father was the, the head coach at a, at a town in Oklahoma back in the, the 60s. And he said their first out-of-town football game, he called the place where they were playing and said, listen, this is how many players I got. I got 40 players, and after the game, we want to feed them. And the guy said, come on. And so my dad said after the game, they went to the restaurant. And on his football team that year, he had 35 whites and 5 blacks. He said, we went into the restaurant, and they had the 35 whites sit in here, and they made the 5 blacks sit out there. Now, when I tell that, I'm, I'm telling you guys, I have to watch my heart. Because stuff like that really irritates me. The next week when they played out of town, he called the other place and told him, he said, now listen, this is how many players I got. And he said, if we're going to eat in the restaurant, our whole team eats together. You're not going to segregate us. So the guy said, okay. So they go to the restaurant and when they walk in, this business owner says, these whites are here, these blacks are here. And my dad said, we won't eat here. We will not eat here unless we all eat together. And you know what the business owner, he wouldn't do it. They walked out. They walked out. Some of my most prized friends are blacks and browns, guys. You heard me say a minute ago that my mentor at Bible school was a black man. My mentor that taught me how to pray. Many of you that have heard me pray or you've prayed around me, the reason I pray like I do was because of a man who was another color of skin. And I don't have problems with that. But I do have problems when people start saying, well, we love them, but we don't want to go to church with them. See, that's not the heart of God, guys. And prejudice is not a color of skin. Prejudice is an attitude. It's something we purpose in our heart. This may be a huge revelation to you today. 
But how many of you chose what color of skin you'd be? If you can raise your hand, I, I want to talk to you and see what you did. Because if I could have chose my color of skin, I wouldn't be as white as I am. I'd like to be a little darker. That way you don't have to suntan. But see, so many times we get caught up on things, guys, that we didn't have any control over. And I look and I think, did, did God not create every one of us? I don't believe the God that we serve is the God that his right arm is white and his left arm is black or vice versa. God's a God of color. He cre- Wouldn't the world be born if we were all green-haired and, and, and blue eyes? It'd be boring. I think God's a God of variety, and that's the way we must look at it. That God puts each of us here to, to sharpen each other. Better keep moving on. Verse 6. Ah, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme or slander the noble name by which you were called? We are called by Jesus' name. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. Now I want you to get that right there. He said that if we prefer other people based on their economics, based on their education, based on their color of skin, he said, you've committed sin. Period. Point. You have committed sin. And are convicted by the law as a transgressor. And so when I look at this, guys, he's not saying any of us are exempt from this. That by the love of God, that's, that's the only way things get healed. That's the only way things get broken in this world or fixed is through the love of God. That when we respond to his love, Things will begin to happen. You know, I, I listen to politicians right now and over and over. You know what they say? We need to spend more money on education. That's a lie. I'm not against education, but we can spend all the money we got in the world and I'm going to cure the prejudice, the injustices that take place. The only thing that does that is the love of God. That we get in our hearts and we love people. You know, I heard this the other day that there was a man who he moved to the United States as a Muslim, as a jihad. And growing up, his mother told him, your destiny will be to be to die for the cause of Allah. So he moves to the United States. And when he gets here, the city he, he sets up in, he begins to recruit young men to help him in killing people in America and Christians. One day, he's in a tragic car wreck. Breaks his neck. He said he's laying there and he never did lose consciousness. And so the first paramedic that comes up to him, he says to him, we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of you. In his mind, you know what that meant? They're going to take care of me, all right. It's over. The first nurse that comes up to him says, we're going to take care of you. The surgeon, when he walks in, says, we're going to take care of you. He goes through the surgery, he comes out, and to his amazement, he's still alive. 
He begins to look at all these people who've taken care of him. And he had been told all along, these people hate you. They want to kill you. So you better kill them. He gets released out of the hospital. And he finds out that all his doctor bills have been paid fully. The surgeon who operates on him looks at him and says, I know you have no place to go. He said, I want you to move in with me. He moves in and this surgeon begins to take care of him. And the surgeon began to tell him about the love of Jesus. Because he would ask him, why are you doing this for me? And he said, because the love of Jesus on the inside of me. And you know what he began to realize? These people didn't hate me. They loved me. That, that my background, my color of skin didn't matter one bit. And you know what ended up happening? Because of the love of God, he got born again. He's still in America. And you know what he said his journey is now? It's not going to recruit young Muslims to be jihadists here. It's to recruit young Muslims to tell them that Jesus that the Christian world serves, he's real. He's the, he's the, the true God. He's the true Savior. And how did all that take place? Not because of words that this man said, you need to give your heart to Jesus, but because of a tangible love that was expressed and shown to him. And as I think about all these things we've talked about here this morning, is there people in your own life that you look and you think, I haven't loved them. I haven't reached out to touch them. I haven't done those things. But yet if we would begin to love people around us just on a daily, daily basis and put on tender mercies, put on kindness, wherever you go, if you'll begin to put this on. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, me and Shelly, it was, it was late for me. It was 10.30 at night and we hadn't gone home yet. And so we stopped at a subway to eat and it was really busy. And there was an older woman working in there. And I'm telling you guys, she was working. So she was the only one in there. She was working, I mean, she was moving and fixing and hitting the cash register, just everything. And Shelly looked at her. And we just began to show kindness to her. And said, I heard Shelly say to her, I appreciate your attitude. I appreciate how hard you're working. And the lady began to look and it began to melt her. And when we were walking out, we both looked at her and we said, God bless you. God bless your life. And I could tell she looked. But simple things just like that, when you show people kindness, when you show people honor with the love of God, it changes you. Here's your homework assignment. Next time you're at Walmart, and that look, here we go, Walmart again, Pastor. He teaches me a lot of lessons there. That's why I tried to avoid going there. I was with a pastor the other day, and I had a shopping cart. We'd thrown all the groceries in the trunk, and I took the shopping cart, and I walked over there real slow. I didn't push it in there like I'm capable of doing. I put it in there real nice and slow and easy, and I walked back, and he looked at me, and he said, It's pretty impressive. And I said, that's how God deals with me. Even on little areas like that. But I've been at the cashier and the little, the little checker. 
all day long has been abused by Christians. And I look how many times people are, hurry up, hurry up. And the love of God will come upon me. And I'll tell them, Jesus loves you. I appreciate you for coming to work today. Thank you for having a good attitude when their attitude may stink. Just to let you watch and you want to see it'll melt people. You just watch. And believe it or not, the Walmart that I go to now, there's some of those checkers. When they see me, they say, Oh God, good. He's gonna be kind to me. He's gonna be kind. And I am. And you know the reason I tell you that, not is to pat me on the back. But guys, 30 years ago, I would have been the one abusing them. I'd have been one to hurry up, stupid. But see, the love of God, when we begin to put that on the inside, and we put that on. And so you know why I'm telling you this? You're going to have great opportunities. Even in your own home. Even in, how many of you noticed in our own home that when you have guests come over, you treat them with love and dignity and respect, and you say, can I get you a glass of water? And they say, yes, please, and you take it to them, and they say, thank you. And then they leave. And then your wife says to me, will you get me a glass of water? And you say, get your lazy rear up and get it yourself. How many of us have done that? Every one of us, we have you done that, Pastor? No, Shelly does that. I don't do that. I'm just kidding. But see how easy we can just get over just the little things. And once again, love is an action. It's a verb. It's a verb. But it's not dependent on a reaction. That Jesus, I'm just going to love him. Stand up with me today.